This is Zion Hebraic Congregation with me, Luke Tanner. This week's Shabbat message is Sukkot by myself. You can hear all of our Shabbat messages wherever you get your podcasts, as well as on our website, zionhebraiccongregation.com. There you can also read and subscribe to my dad's weekly essays that he writes. Put your email in the little email subscribe box and you'll get those. And as always, our theme music is by my buddy Evan Shaw. His, his uh, music can be found at his website, evanshawmusic.com. Enjoy. Hey, mighty warriors arise, yeah. Okay, Shabbat Shalom, everybody. Today is the first day of Sukkot. And so, as such, we are going to talk about Sukkot. And uh, so, if you want to go to 1st Leviticus 23. 1st Leviticus 23. 1st you go to Leviticus 23. As opposed to 2nd Leviticus. All right, so we'll read starting in verse 33. And Yehovah spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of this seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days unto Yehovah. And on the first day shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no servile work therein. Seven days you shall offer an offering made by fire unto Yehovah. And on the eighth day shall be a holy convocation unto you. You shall offer an offering made by fire unto Yahweh. It's a solemn assembly. And you shall do no servile work therein. These are the feasts of Yahweh, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, to an, offer, an offering made by fire unto Yahweh, a burnt offering, and a meat offering, a sacrifice, a drink offering, everything upon this day, besides the Sabbaths of Yahweh, besides your gifts, besides your vows, besides all your free will offerings which you give unto Yahweh. Also in the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered the fruit of the land, you shall keep a feast on Yehovah seven days, and on the first day shall be a Sabbath, and on the eighth day shall be a Sabbath. And you shall take you on the first day the boughs of goodly trees, branches, palm trees, the boughs of thick trees, willows of the brook. You shall rejoice before Yehovah your God seven days, and you shall keep it a feast unto Yehovah your day, uh, seven days in a year. And it shall be a statute forever in your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths seven days. All that are Israelites born shall dwell in booths. That your generations may know that I made the children of Israel to dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am Yehovah your God. And Moses declared unto the children of Israel the feasts of Yehovah. All right, let's pray real quick and then we'll talk about it. Heavenly Father God, thank you for this Shabbat. Thank you also for this first day of Sukkot and that we can celebrate it and be together and uh, that it reminds us of that, uh, our ancestors' exodus from Egypt to be able to serve and follow you and to be reborn or born as a nation to serve and follow you. So I just pray that as we read your word, you would uh, 
speak to us, teach us, and help us to live godly lives. Amen. So Sukkot is the last of the seven festivals of Yehovah that is talked about in the Bible. And it is uh, at the end of the harvest season in Israel when they would bring in all the fall harvest, the grapes, the vegetables, uh, you know, all, all these things as they would are heading into winter over there. And so it's a final festival that's all God's festivals, or most all of them, are all sell, are all focused around the agricultural cycle in Israel. So if if it feels weird and out of place, it's because we're not in Israel. <laughs> it's also one of the three pilgrimage festivals, which all the males were supposed to go up to Israel, uh, go up to Jerusalem. You had Passover, and then Pentecost or Shavuot, which so Passover being the barley harvest, Shavuot being the wheat harvest, and then. Sukkot being the final in-gathering harvest at the end of the year. Would they stay the whole week? Yeah, because it, w- it was a holy convocation on the first and the eighth day. And so you'd stay the whole week. Yeah. So it was basically a giant end-of-year pilgrimage festival when everybody would go up to Jerusalem. Mm. There's some pretty cool... There's... Uh, in the, um, the Temple Institute, they have a pretty cool... I don't know if it's fictitious or if it was just elaborated on, but a little boy wrote about in the first century going up to Jerusalem and how they would uh, go up and it was basically a week-long celebration and the priests would light these massive candles and uh, so the and it was during the full moon so you could see really well and the weather was perfect and everybody's camping out outside and celebrating and so it was just a super joyous festivist time and um, and they would also at the end which we're going to read about in in John the, they would do the water dra- water drawing ceremony at the end, which isn't prescribed in the Torah, which is interesting, but uh, it it was added at some point, and the but and Yeshua talks about it and, and alludes to it and and alludes to things in the prophets, and I believe why it got added was because of the prophetic scriptural correlations that they understood so deeply they knew their bibles really well like that's one of the things that i i love about like reading even like this commentary i'm going to read a little bit from hirsch during the early 1800s late late 1800s early 1900s you know they didn't have computer programs where they could search words and and find out you know they had a deep knowledge through a lifetime of study and it was the same thing in the first century as well so um, so that's kind of a quick synopsis of Sukkot, um, its its attachment to the land. And part of the reason why God had these festivals be pilgrimage festivals is there's an importance in, as we, I think, are especially feeling today, the, the gathering together of people and the communal element and that there was this whole symbiotic, holistic attachment between God's word the blessings that he would pour out in the physical realm through the rain and the fertileness of the land, which would feed them so that they could live, so that they could serve God, commune together, create communities, create life, and things operate as they're supposed to. But when you get a, a chink in that chain or a weak link, it all it all starts to come apart and fall apart. Amazingly, God built seemingly infinite redundancies in the systems to keep things rolling in spite of 
sin. Um, and his word is, is basically that stopgap that keeps everything from coming apart, you know, if we will do it, if we will keep it. But the beauty is his covenants, thankfully, are not incumbent upon our obedience. He made them with himself. Otherwise, we would all be dead. So, um, so that's kind of, I think, the cool thing about and the importance of the coming together corporately on these holidays is, is really vital and, and necessary and rejoicing in festivities uh, and eating. And it's, it's just a really beautiful, important thing. And the whole point of Sukkot was to thankful, thanking the, God for the harvest, but also remembering back to when they came out of Egypt and when they left Egypt, they dwelled in temporary dwellings, in booths, tents, whatever they made, essentially, or had with them. And it was, uh, again, as the whole country would come together, because a whole week is a long time for your men to be gone. I'm sure maybe some of the women stayed back. But I imagine they all probably dragged the whole family, which is interesting because you would have to have a whole national community built on the understanding that we all need to be able to, even though they were an agrarian society, we got to be able to leave for a week and head down to Jerusalem. So it, I think, would, would, would in, instill in the fabric of the society this understanding of the ability to be able, they never lost somewhat their nomadic roots, I think, which would, which would help them to remember where they came from with Abraham and that they were a wandering people and that God always provided for them. And so this attachment to the the exodus from Egypt and their wandering and their rebirth as a nation. You had this family with the, the sons and then they grew as they were in exile and then the time came of the redemption to come and to leave so that they could go back to the land. Can you see the patterns that God leads us through? And... But first, they had to go to the mountain. First, they had to get back to his word and their culture needed to be cleansed and purified. And as we were talking a little bit about before, I think what's happening now is, when it talks about in Ezekiel, is God is pulling us out of the cultures and the systems that we've lived and been raised in and generationally are ingrained in. And we're now in the wilderness of the people where God is purging and refining his people and so he is reinvigorating us and infusing us with his words such that we can act as the community that we need to so that when we gather there's harmony and there's uh community and there's uh service to god and praise to him for his namesake he doesn't need any of it he doesn't even need us but on some weird philosophical levels, he almost does because it will, he created us. So, I don't know. Uh, it's all interesting to me. So, I want to, well, that's why I have a waterproof Bible. Um, I want to go, I want to read a little bit of this, um, this commentary here. So this is Rabbi, I referenced him one of the last times I, he's one of my favorite rabbis, Samson Raphael Hirsch, and uh, he has a commentary on the Torah and on the Psalms, both of which are pretty good. Obviously don't agree with everything that he wrote, he's not a believer, uh, sadly, um, but he wrote some pretty, pretty awesome stuff. So... So you have this 
corporate coming together of the people during Sukkot, which reminds us of our corporate exodus from Egypt. But all of that was dependent upon an individual choice and response because a building is built by individual bricks. And so kind of on that heels of that thought, it says, but true genuine joy of living undisturbed and unperturbable, no matter how brilliant and splendid, is not to be sought in the upbuilding and development of the individual personality. Only if the individual, within all his personal life and aspirations, will give himself completely to the common task of the national entity to translate the law of God into reality, if, only if, with all his personal life and strivings, whatever his social position, he will seek to be nothing but a building block in the one great edifice whose blueprint is the law and whose architect is God. Only then, whether he is subservient like the willow, lustrous like the myrtle, serene and quietly fruitful like the palm tree, or crowned with fame and accomplishments like the fruit of beauty, will he attain the gift of complete, lasting, perpetual rejoicing before God. Isn't that cool? I just thought that was just beautiful. The, the, the fruit he uh, likens the people to are uh, the four species, which uh, are not necessarily biblical, uh, but are spoken about because when you would build a sukkah, it says take you know willow and take palm. And, and so in rabbinicism, they... Ha, they hold those up and they rejoice before God with them, which is fine. It's not not biblical, but it's. Uh, I personally believe that the Bible basically actually says that those are the things you're supposed to put on your sukkah. So, um, and they were native species to to Israel. So it's just basically go out find the species and and build stuff with them to make your sukkah. So, but I I just love that. Um, that quote about you know this the coming together of the individual people and how there's a personal responsibility in there and uh, that we are part of the national entity of God's kingdom is who we truly are to find our identity with and we are uh, building blocks in the great edifice whose blueprint is the law and whose architect is God I just thought that was awesome so now I want to go to um, go up to John chapter seven. We're gonna read where Yeshua celebrates the coat. All right, so chapter 7. After these things, uh, verse 1. After these things, Yeshua walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in Jewry because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence, go into Judea, and thy disciples also may, that thy disciples also may see uh, the works that thou, thou doest. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. If, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. For neither did his brethren believe him. They, they were kind of mocking him because he was up where his family, that's where he 
was from, was in the Galilee. And so they were kind of given a hard time saying, oh, well, why don't you show yourself to the world? Six, then Yeshua said unto them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. <laughs> the world cannot hate you, but me it hateth, because I testify of it that its works, that the works thereof are evil. Go ye up unto this feast. I go not up yet unto this feast, for my time is yet not full come. And when he had said these words unto them, he still abode in Galilee. And when his brethren were gone up, then went he also up to the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. It's so interesting to me, just to pause there real quick. You've got him talking to his brethren, which for all intents and purposes, until he kind of came and started living who he was and was like this, and, and he was this crystallizing moment in time that delineated reality of who and what people really were. I imagine we all would have thought, oh, these are good believing citizens of Israel that probably go to synagogue on Shabbat, go up to the festivals on during the festivals, you know. But Yeshua says, the world cannot hate you, but me it hateth because I testify that its works are evil. So he's kind of saying, you're not like me because you... You know, they don't believe him. And so, uh, and then the, the world doesn't hate its own, i.e. they are of the world, which is just so fascinating to me because it just makes me think like the massive swaths of humanity, even then, and probably more so now that would appear as part of the kingdom, part of the people of God, but in reality are not. And he just exposes everyone he's around because he is light. So it's just interesting. And that's his family. So says in the, uh, so he's, he, his brethren grow up, but he, and then 10, he also went up to the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, where is he? There was much murmuring among the people concerning him. For some said, he is a good man. Others said, nay, he deceiveth the people. Howbeit no man spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews. Now about the midst of the feast, Yeshua went up into the temple and taught. And the, and the Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? And Yeshua answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but him that sent me. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory, but he that seeketh his glory that sent him the same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give you the law, yet none of you keepeth the law? Why go ye about to kill me? And the people answered and said, Thou hast a devil, and who goes about to kill thee? And Yeshua answered and said unto them, I have done one work, and ye all marvel. Moses therefore gave you unto you circumcision, not because it is of Moses, but of the fathers. And ye on the Sabbath day circumcise a man. If a man on the Sabbath day receive a circumcision, that the law of Moses should not be broken, are ye angry with me because I made a man very wit whole on the Sabbath day? Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Then, So he's indicting uh, them in their unjust judgment of the things in the law. And saying, you know, you present yourselves as the bearers of righteousness and the word of God and you contradict it and seek to kill me who is the law and does it. 
25. Then some of them in Jerusalem, then said some of them in Jerusalem, Is not this whom, whom they seek to kill? But lo, he speaketh boldly, and they say nothing unto him. Do, I find this so fascinating, do the rulers know indeed that this is the very Messiah? So they're thinking to themselves, wait a minute, there's something not right here. Do they actually know that he is the Messiah and they're just not telling us because it would actually mean they're not in charge anymore if the Messiah really is here? So they're seeing the cracks in the foundation, right? They're understanding that they're being taken for a ride by their rulers. 27, Howbeit we know this man, so then their, their kind of mental dialogue uh, comes back in. How about we know this man whence he is, but when Messiah cometh, no man knoweth whence he is. Then cried Yeshua in the temple as he taught, saying, Ye both know me, and ye know where, whence I am, and I am not come of myself, but he that sent me is true, whom ye know not. For I know him, for I am from him, and he hath sent me. Then they sought to take him, but no man laid hands on him, because his hour was not yet come. And many of the people believed on him. And said, When Messiah cometh, will he do more miracles uh, than these which this man hath done? The Pharisees heard that the people murmured such things concerning him. And the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. Then said Yeshua unto them, Yet a little while I am with you, and then I go, and then I go unto him that sent me. And you shall seek me, and none shall find me, and shall not find me. And whither I am, thither, where I am, thither ye cannot come. Then said the, the Jews among themselves, Whither will he go? that we shall not find him. Will he go under the dispersed among the Gentiles and teach the Gentiles? I find that interesting too because that's exactly what happened with the Great Commission and afterwards. What manner of saying is this that he said, ye shall seek and shall not find me and where I am, thither ye cannot come. So it kind of pauses there uh, and then goes on to the, because that was in the middle of uh, the feast that he says all of that. And then in the last and great day of the feast, 37, Yeshua stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spoke he of the Spirit, which they that, would believe, that, which they that believed on him should receive. The Holy Ghost was not yet given because, the, because that Yeshua was not yet glorified. So, the last day of the feast is when they would have this water pouring ceremony. They would, the priests would stand and they would pour water out as an offering, essentially, um, unto God. Kind of like you know how David, when he, uh, one of his, he said, "Oh, that I would have a drink of water from a well," and one of his men snuck down there and you know got the drink of water and brought it back unto him, but he wouldn't drink it. He poured it out as an offering unto God. It's this idea of Instead of partaking of something for yourself, you, you, you are giving it back unto God, you know. And so they would do this, this water pouring ceremony, which is a way basically of thanking God for the rain, to grow the food, and that they were alive. And so Yeshua then, I think very powerfully, relates it back to passages in the... Um, in the in the in the in the in the prophets, because it says, "Is every man thirst? Let him come unto me and drink." He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. So first, um, 
in references to verse 37 there, I want to go to, um, well, we may skip that part, but maybe not. Um, Isaiah 12, we'll, we'll read it. It's really short, but in reference to, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. I think the reason why he emphasized on this and they, and even why they did it, maybe even unbeknownst to them, all has to do with, you know, the end of the festival of Sukkot is kind of the culmination of, if you look at the biblical festivals in a prophetic sense, the eventual, the messianic kingdom and, and, and God ruling and reigning of all things. And so this idea of this rivers of running water, springs of living water, takes you back to Isaiah where, especially like in chapter 11, it's all about the Messiah. And then you get to chapter 12 and it says, and in that day, uh, talking about um, the people the people speaking, it says, in that day thou shalt say, O Yahweh, I will praise thee. Though thou was angry with me, thine anger is turned away and thou comfortest me. Behold, this is the people speaking, God is my salvation, I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord, Yahweh, is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. Therefore, with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. And in, this, and in that day shall ye say, Praise Yahweh, call upon his name, declare his doings among the people, make mention that his name is exalted. Sing unto Yahweh, for he hath done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, thou inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. It's kind of the culmination of the Messiah coming and ruling and reigning. Uh, and this drawing water out of wells of salvation. Um, yeah, it's just systemic throughout the whole scripture. It's really amazing when you start to see these patterns. So then also, in reference to verse 38, He that believeth on me, as the scriptures have said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Do you go to Isaiah 44? In verse 3, well, we'll back up to verse 1. It says, uh, Isaiah 41, Yet now hear, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus said Yehovah, who made thee, formed thee from the womb, which will help thee. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and now Yeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty, and floods upon dry ground. And I will pour my spirit upon thy seed, and my blessings upon thine offspring. So there you have that, that reference to the pouring out of God's spirit and this water and this ruling and culmination of his kingdom and the festival of, of Sukkot in the eighth day. Also, if you go to Jeremiah 2, Uh, 13 in the it's it's there's a negative connotation used here it says for my people have committed two evils they have forsaken me the fountain of living waters and hewed them out cisterns broken cisterns that can hold no water because in the Middle East and in, in Israel principally uh, there were springs that they would gather water from but they would also underneath their houses they would dig cisterns which were basically these big holes and they would plaster the inside of them so that they would hold water and the rain would come 
and it would fill up the cisterns underneath their water and they would have water, but they could get developed cracks. And if it developed a crack and all your water leaked out, you were kind of screwed. And so uh, he's saying, you've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters and hewn out broken cisterns for yourself. And so uh, then finally, if you go to, um, uh, well, actually, one more in Jeremiah 17, 13. Again, the fountain of living water says, O Yehovah, hope of Israel, all that forsake thee shall be ashamed, and they that departed from me shall be written in the earth, because they have forsaken Yehovah, the fountain of living waters. So there's that written in the earth, uh, who depart, and, um, and God being the fountain of living waters. Last one, uh, Zechariah 14.8. So hopefully you can kind of see this these prophetic uh, scriptures all pointing to God being that which gives life and sustaining the people and the culminating of festival of Sukkot and his kingdom and his power. And Yeshua is saying, I am that fountain of living waters. He was unequivocally uh, saying that he was God. And that he had come to give life. So, um, 14 verse 8. And it shall be in that day that living waters shall go out of Jerusalem, half of them towards the former sea and half of them towards the hinder sea. And summer, in summer and winter it shall be. And Yehovah shall be king over all the earth. In that day, there shall be one Yehovah and his name one. So again, those living waters that will flow out of Jerusalem and there will be one God and one king. And um, so, and we'll, uh, we'll finish up reading the, pa- the, the chapter here back in John 7, verse 40. And many people, therefore, when they heard this saying, said, of a truth, this is the prophet. Others said, This is the Messiah. But some said, Shall Messiah come out of Galilee? Hath not the scripture said that Messiah cometh uh, of the seed of David out of the town of Bethlehem where David was? So there was a division among the people because of them. And some of them would have taken him, but no man laid hands on him. Then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto them, Why have you not brought him? The officers said, Never a man spake like this. Then answered the Pharisees, Are ye also deceived? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed him? But this people who knoweth not the law are cursed. Nicodemus said unto them, He that came to Yeshua by night, being one of them, Doth our law judge any man before it hear him, and know what he doeth? They answered and said unto him, Art thou also of Galilee? Search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. And every man went unto his own house. So you can just see the turmoil that was going on because of Yeshua and what he said and what he did and uh, his announcing of the kingdom of God, really. And it it was from the beginning. He said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. His work was being done, the reestablishing of his word. And and it's a a heritage and a a path. It's a... 
heritage that we draw on and a thread that still continues all the way up to this day that we are living out and a part of. And uh, so every year that we celebrate these festivals, we partake in that and uh, we remember all that God has done for us. And one day, hopefully we will celebrate again Sukkot in Jerusalem with Yeshua there ruling and reigning. So we'll pray real quick and be done. Heavenly Father God, I just thank you again for your word for this day, for this time to read your word, to learn it. And um, uh, thank you for Sukkot and this day of rejoicing in your word and all that you do and you provide for us. And may your kingdom come quickly and speedily and you rule and reign. In Yeshua's name I pray. Amen. Mm-hmm.